Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. Okay, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm the co-host Mason S. With me as always is TK. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're back for another episode. Uh, going, continuing down the journey of the traditions. We just finished up four. We're going to start on five. Today we've got uh, Ron H. with us. Is this my cue where I read the tradition already? No, it's oh, not. Okay. Not yet. Well. <laughs> not yet. Now we've got Ron with us today. Ron, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing really well and uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, we can't thank you enough for coming on here and doing this. Um, you want to start with your clean date and give your home group a shout out? Sure. My clean date is June 7th, 1979. And my home group is the More Will Be Revealed group, one o'clock sundays in albuquerque new mexico that is awesome um so before wow. we dive into the tradition today we'd like to get to know you a little bit and you know i i knew you had been here for some time when i was talking to chris and them i had no idea 1979 uh wow as soon as he said that i was like i was two months old when he got clean yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i hear a lot of that yeah, but looking at you, I would have never guessed. You don't look like you're old enough to have been here for to, since 1979. Well, that's very kind. Well, that, the, the podcast listeners will just have to trust you on that, I guess. It's yeah, yeah. Um, so let's uh let's get to know you a little bit. Um, so 1979. That's pre basic text, correct? Correct. Um, this is going to get good. Oh yeah, yeah. I always love this but um so pre-basic texts how do you how did you find narcotics anonymous well how i found it is my sister was going to uh, aa meetings and um, she could see that i needed what she was getting and uh, she tried to persuade me a few times along the way to at least check out a meeting with her and she kind of caught me at a a dark moment and uh I said, you know, and I just couldn't understand why AA would have anything to do with my problems. Uh, I drank, but really, you know, I didn't see myself as having an alcohol problem. Had she said NA, I might have gotten more nervous, you know, but I just, when she said AA, it was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go with her. And I, I went, but I was pretty uh, amazed at what I heard really at, at that meeting, just, you know, and what I related to, I had to kind of change the the channel a little bit and think about the drugs that I was having that kind of problem with. But uh, uh, that's where I, and, and at that meeting, at that very first meeting, that was uh, June, I mean, uh, April 20th, 1978 was my very first meeting. And um, a bunch of guys came up to me after the meeting and uh, said, this meeting's good and everything. It's all right. But guess what? We've got a the best meeting in town meets on Monday. And uh, it was a little NA meeting. And uh, 
And I was, by the way, in Fargo, North Dakota at the time. So what the hell there was a little N.A. meeting doing in Fargo, North Dakota in 1978 is another story. And just the brief version of that story is there's a guy named Larry who ended up in prison in California uh, in about in the early 70s. He got out in 74. And uh, in that little meeting in the early 70s, I mean, in that prison in the early 70s, there was a NAH&I effort and they had little white books. And so he came back to Fargo with a little white book in his pocket and he started a meeting. And uh, four years later, uh, when I went to that meeting with my sister, that AA meeting and those NA people approached me afterwards, uh, that meeting had about 12 members or so and it had been gone for four years already. So that's how I found NA. What a fantastic story, man. It's hard not to like those stories always get to me, man. Um, you know, it's, it's hard not to see a higher power at work when you hear stories like that, to think that a guy who was introduced in prison through H and I starts a meeting in North Dakota. Um, and, and I don't know much about Fargo. Is it, is it fairly rural or, yeah, well, Fargo is by far the biggest city in North Dakota, but that's, uh, you might call that damning with faint praise. Right. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a fairly small, it's, a, it's probably at that time, uh, the whole, actually the meeting was on the Minnesota side, and I, I was a Minnesota guy, I, uh, but I say Fargo because it's a more recognizable name, but the sister city across the river was Moorhead, Minnesota which is where the the meeting was. And that was a city of about 40,000 and Fargo was about 80,000. So somewhere in the 120,000 range was the city size. So it was not a big city right in the middle of, you know, farmland, rural USA. Wow. Wow. And when you got there, um, how many home group members would you say? There were about 12. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That's quite a bit. Yeah, well, and within a couple of years, we we had it rocking and rolling. Uh, we there's a whole story there. That I don't know how much we want to get into the extraneous stuff, but actually, it's quite related. Oh, yeah, to let's go. Let, yeah, let's go with it. We'll make time. Yeah, we we had a we there was a a little group of us. There's still a number of us that are clean and know each other and main and stay in contact. But uh, within about a year. Or let's see. So uh, it took me a year to, to to stop kind of relapsing and stay clean. So my clean date is June of 79. So by a, a year later and a little bit more, we start after I kind of stabilized and was staying clean. Uh, I'll, I'll tell I'll tell it to you this way, because it, it's the, this is even a little more fun. I I got elected at one point to this home group as the GSR. Now to understand the GSR role in that home group in 1979, you got to realize there's that there's one NA meeting in this town and no others. And none of us have ever met another NA member from any other town. Ooh. It's just, you know, we're completely isolated. There are no NA meetings around. So what the hell does the GSR do? There's no area, there's no region. 
uh, there's just a GSR. <laughs> so I asked the guy who was the GSR before me, his name was Willie, and he and I were really good friends. He said, well, what I do is there's a phone number on the, on the pamphlet uh, that says the group, and, and it says it describes the role of the GSR. It says the GSR is your home group's contact with the rest of NA. So he said, I, the only thing I could think to do is call that number. And he said, like, I'll call that number and sometimes we'll order literature and sometimes we just talk to the guy who answers the phone. So that's what I did as the GSR, my home group, I called that number. And that number was the number of Jimmy K in, in uh, Sun Valley, California. Whoa. So, uh, <laughs> wow. I used to, uh, I got my my initial start at service and, and in witnessing the fifth tradition, I guess you could say, in, uh, by calling that phone number. And Jimmy would, would uh, he, he was really interested always in who was out there and where we were. And, how, you know, he, he had questions about our meeting. Were we kind of keeping ourselves, were we finding ourselves uh, establishing some kind of autonomy from AA or were or were we all kind of AANA oriented? And, you know, he had questions like that. He was encouraging us to kind of put down our own roots and that sort of stuff. So that was my, um, that was my in, uh, initiation into service. That's I forgot awesome. what your question was that I answered with that story. Well, that's fine. Okay. Uh, <laughs> work. Yeah. Forget the question. What I'm interested, what, what interests me is you were talking about, he was he was interested in the autonomy um kind of establishing in a as as this separate entity i i think that's pretty interesting to have that foresight way back then you know because even even now in towns where na gets started where there's aa groups that have been you know the focal point of recovery in those towns it's still very much a mixed message and people don't really have the foresight of why it's important to kind of, to be different, you know, um, for him to, to think like that, it, it just amazes me. That's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. I, I often thought about that. Like, I wonder what was driving that for him. If, if there was, uh, you know, I've noticed a pattern myself as I've done service and, and, uh, you know, moved around a bit and stuff is that the, when you, let's say you get to a, to a small town in Podunk, New Mexico, and, and it has an NA meeting and it's maybe it's a, you know, a reasonably sized town for that, for the kind of rural area that it is. And, and the AA groups are really wide open to NA members like that's ah, all fine it's all the same come on in uh NA stays very very weak in that town because it doesn't have to you know it's a yeah. little more socially acceptable to say at work yeah I'm going to I was at an AA meeting or you know I I'm an alcoholic than it is to say I was at an NA meeting and by the way I'm a dope fiend you know but uh -huh. never mind you know it's so um I think what happens is, and like in Albuquerque, for example, there was some hardcore AA members who just didn't want, who really, really said, we want to preserve the atmosphere for the alcoholic. And we would prefer that you guys not come to our meeting. We'd like you to start your own meeting. And so, you know, all the way back, NA was really strong. I moved here in 94 and there was, uh, 
it was a strong, it's just an unbelievably strong NA community because it had to be, you know, that it, there was there was no place else to go for addicts. So we had professionals and um, people with s- substantial time who were sticking around NA. So there is a, some kind of phenomenon there that Jimmy was onto that that was the NA meeting needs to find its own soul, its own voice, its own heart in, in its own message and establish itself that way. I know it's hard to go and, 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 you know, jump into his brain and see what he was thinking. Do you think that was out of, you know, he, he figured that was what's best for both fellowships or was that out of resentment because, you know, we wasn't really accepted in AA? What do you think that is? I, I think it was uh, not out of resentment. It's always hard to say what what, what a person's – individual experience was like if some somebody uh, treated you badly uh you tend to have a little more resentment or if you don't quite understand the underlying issue and all you think is you're being excluded by these assholes you know then you can get an attitude but if you understand what that what they're trying to preserve is their own atmosphere of identification i think about my dad sometimes like my dad was an alcoholic and he went to AA and he got sober and he died with 30 some years sober. Now, he was not a, uh, let's just say, you know, he was a rural kind of blue collar dude who wasn't about to, if he would have gone to his first AA meeting and some guy was talking about, yeah, man, I was shooting dope at the, you know, blah, blah. Um. Would he possibly even have said, "Oh man, I'm in the right place"? <laughs> it's just—it's right. inconceivable that my dad would hear that share and and be and go deep enough to understand that underlying this is the same condition. But at the surface, here we are with these very with these differences. And AA has always said to us, "We prefer that you." create your own uh, environment like ours will give you the steps and traditions to adapt at will and but we we want to preserve what they've since come to call the singleness of purpose but they're talking about the the atmosphere of identification for alcoholics and let us do the same over here so, yeah that's yeah. interesting story we, right there yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it is. yeah. i remember hearing about that yeah so um Let's talk about your early recovery. You know, you, you, you get started at that meeting. How how long are you a home group member there before you leave? When you say leave, you mean move out of that well, town? Well, yeah, just move before you move out of that yeah. town. Yeah, well, I was I, I moved with five years clean. So I had, I'd been a home group member for six years <clears throat> yeah. um, at that time and five of them s- since my last relapse. Um, and I had go- uh, gone off and started another meeting, and uh, we began to to proliferate NA meetings in Fargo-Moorhead. So by the time I was we, I left, we had created a we had created areas, we created a region. Our region was Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Manitoba. So we were. <laughs> we were we were really young and cocky, man. We just took on the world, and right. we 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 created uh, you know the whole service environment. We ended up uh, sending somebody to the World Service Conference. So we we were represented at the World Service Conference the year that the the basic text was approved. 
Wow. And uh, we, we were we were right up in that, not not in the writing of the basic text, but in the in the service environment when all those workshops were going on and stuff. And, you know, we had we, we got shipped our box full of gray forms when that was ready, when the when the approval draft of the basic text came out, we and we had our first editions. And, you know, the so it was um it was exciting times and we were we were a young ass kicking kind of uh, active na group at the time so what what went through your mind the first time you crack open that literature and begin to read well you it's interesting you say uh you say it that i mean i i feel myself getting choked up a little bit just at the question because i re, i remember the <clears throat> This I was not expecting, but I remember I got a basic text right here. And if you open the, 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 you know, dust cover, you open it up and on the inside dust cover, it says many books have been written about the nature of addiction. This book primarily concerns itself with the nature of recovery. If you're an addict and have found this book, please give yourself a break and read it. And, uh, you know, we'd been operating without literature except the, the little white book and, um, you know, a few pamphlets that were mostly derived from the little white book. And we were, uh, when I, it's funny you said the word when you cracked open that literature because I, many times I've told that story and I said, I got my, my you know, my first edition basic text with the red cover, you know, and it, and I had the only one in town because other people were waiting for the regular blue edition, and that that was delayed for about a year. So I have my, and we immediately started a basic text study meeting. But the first time I I got that book, I was going to visit my sponsor. So my wife and I were going in a car. She's also clean about this a little bit longer than I have because she had the good sense not to relapse but uh uh we we got in the car and we went to see my sponsor and i you know i said i've told the story i cracked open the basic text a brand new book you could hear it crack you know and you and smelled it because you know i was accustomed to smelling things that that were fresh and new and uh and and i read it cover to cover on that trip and i was just absolutely astounded uh that that we had that we had gone gotten a book that was that that good that uh it it captured that amazingly kind of like the what was really almost like an oral tradition at that point because you had aa with a written tradition and you had na with the oral tradition uh and we and some of our uh stuff that we that like I went to my first world convention in 1980 in Wichita, Kansas. So it was the first time I ever heard the voice of NA, you know, like people sharing like NA people share, not, right. not kind of uh, like what, if you got one NA meeting and you've never met anyone else and, and kind of you share basically an AA kind of lingo and stuff. Right. And, yeah. And so, that that's when that's when i mean i'm sort of jumbling it all together because it was like five years of 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 na was was starting to take off and certainly in my little town na was taken off in a big way as well wow i just uh 
I'm busting at the seams to ask this question. So I'm going to, and I was like, do you still have the book? And what number was it? <laughs> I, you know, it's, I don't remember the number, but it was over a thousand. It was, it was not, not a, not an early number, but I used to keep the book on my regular bookshelf. And I also had like many big NA parties at my house and that kind of stuff. And, and over here in Albuquerque. So I had the book and, uh, I went, uh, I guess one one time, Teresa and I, we had taken all our books and thrown them in a in a box and so we moved and stuff. And I took them all out and I goes, where's my, where's my first edition basic text? And it was gone. Oh, no. And I thought, oh my God, did somebody, did somebody actually steal my basic text or could I have been, you know, lazy enough, cavalier enough that I let that thing uh, somehow get lost? But no, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody pinched it off my shelf. It was once it started getting to Gosh. be of some real value. Oh yeah. Sorry, I asked that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that that is awesome. So, what? Just real quick before we dive into, I got one more question. Um, how did you see the fellowship change and begin to develop after that basic text came out? Oh my God. Uh, it is really hard to encapsulate that answer into, a, a you know, something, something short and clear, but it, it exploded. The fellowship exploded that, uh, we began to, uh, you know, like I said, this thing about, we found our voice, we had found our voice a bit before that. And then the basic text then captured that voice. And really what the basic text did is it fed back to us this, this, um, this message of identification. It was like, you know, it's pretty hard to be an addict and read the basic text and not kind of go, yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's, they get me somehow, you know? And so I think what we, we began to have our kind of a, uh, something to rally around that whole issue of, of language, you know, the, the issue that of NA language and uh, that started with the writing of the basic text when they, when they, started to say, you know, if we're going to support, if we're going to have language that best supports our first step, uh, powerless over our addiction rather than over this drug or that drug, then we need to kind of unify our language that supports that principle. And uh, that be that was rippling as a controversy in the kind of, you know, mid first half of the 80s. And uh, I think the basic text, you, you know, the fact that it was really consistent in its language like that, that and that uh, we were able to uh, start trying to create that kind of consistency of voice within NA itself, uh, it, it had a, a really profound effect. But it, it, it took, you know, it took a little time. It didn't happen right away, but it's it worked its way into the culture of NA, I think, over these years. Yeah, yeah. We're still we're still working on that a little bit, but sure. yeah, I, I just the wherewithal to to have that thought about how important language was gonna be as far as setting ourselves apart and you know, establishing our own foundation. It, it's just it just blows my mind all that went into that and how great, like you said, how great it turned out, you know? 
Some people think we get a little carried away with it at times, though, I'm sure, don't they? Oh, well, yeah, and we do get a little carried away with it at times. I think we do also. I think I think there's a way to be petty and tribal about this issue, and uh, some people are. And then there's a way to, 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 to kind of go easy on it, but to stand on the underlying principle of, um, you know, having a, a clear message uh, that's non-drug specific, that's about, uh, uh, that's about addiction itself, uh, not about, a, you know, any specific drug. And I, I think when people actually hear the underlying rationale, uh, they sort of get on board, but when what they first encounter is somebody correcting their speech or kind of thumping the table about, you know, we don't say the S word at NA yeah. meetings, whatever, it gets, a, you know, people can be strident and stridency doesn't tend to be persuasive. Yeah, yeah I agree completely. And look, we were kind of taught that way, me and Travis and you know, we would be lying if we said we didn't take what we learned and passed it on. But, you know, throughout that's why I've that's why I've loved doing this podcast. It's really broadened my perspective and you know, it's um to hear other people with time share on that uh has really changed my perspective on it. Now, you know, it's not as as important to me as it was. Um what is important is like I share exactly why we do that, just like you did in the way that you did it, instead of like you saying thumping the table and saying we don't say that, you know, we don't say that word here. Well, um, I just I would really look at it as like if it's, you know, like I'm listening to what people are saying around here, and they're not saying what I'm saying. So what am I doing wrong? So that's when I start asking questions, or you know, I can be that person, you know, that goes up, hey. Do you understand what we're talking about when we talk about the language in this program? Yeah. You know, of course, I don't want to be brutal, but I have been. I know I have in the past, but uh, uh, you really get caught up in the whole the whole concept of I'm I'm really uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Well, like uh, what he said a minute ago, it's petty. He, it, it's petty is what it is. I mean, true. No, but that's let's the way say, that we were. Let's go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say, let's say there's a way to be petty about it, but the issue itself is not necessarily petty. That's the that's the thing. The issue itself, and I think the fact that it it helps us to feel. I mean, the, this issue has been significant. It, it's significant in creating unity in NA, and sometimes yeah. it challenges the unity of NA too because exactly. you know we disagree about it. But it's been pretty significant in creating this sense that of of membership and you know like there's a way of getting that i am an na member and, and if i'm an na member then i should carry the na message in an na setting and there's language that does that best and there's language that like if i say i'm clean and sober for example uh this is not language that supports the basic foundational principle of na that you know what is it I'm a green bean and a vegetable, you know, it's like, why am I, why am I making an artificial distinction uh, within NA? So, I mean, I, like I say, I say there's a sound rationale for it and a way to be petty and tribal about it. And we just have to stick with the sound rationale and let people make their own decision about how they speak. That's true. 
Yeah. The word I was looking for a minute ago was passionate. Passionate. Oh, okay. ah, well, see, there you go. Program. Uh, well, then you want to, you want to kind of carry that message, but you don't want to be brutal at the right. same time, you know, because right. there's nothing loving about brutal. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. I agree. Okay. So let's dive into the topic today. Here comes are my you, part. Are you ready, Travis? Yeah, I am. Tradition five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the addict who still suffers. All right, Ron, what do you got for us on that? All right, well, the fifth tradition is, I mean, it, just the fact that it that it says the words primary purpose uh, kind of put it in a category of its own where it's kind of like central to everything. And then they like, uh, it's... My experience is that, like, when I do service like H and I, for example, or or phone lines where you're talking directly to addicts, or when I share at a meeting and and uh, there's newcomers there, and I'm trying to get over myself and just really see if I can touch the the heart of a newcomer. Uh, the, there's the fifth tradition, just kind of rippling in the room, and it, it's easy. In, the, in that setting. Then there's other settings where my service, let's say I've done like, I've done a lot of uh, technology stuff, like working on websites or, you know, that kind of stuff where, uh, or you get s sort of removed <clears throat> from talking directly to an addict and you're working in some administrative level or administrative function. And um, I've done a, a lot of that too. And what I always find is if I can keep my heart connected to the fifth tradition, that why am I doing this? Why am I sitting here at 10 o'clock at night on a work night uh, trying to get this code right so that the addict who still suffers when he get, or she gets to the website um, actually finds a meeting and gets to the meeting and, and gets to have what I have, you know, gets to have what you have. So to me, the this um, this connection of the every single thing we do in service to the kind of heart of that fifth tradition is one of the things that really binds us together. We have, as you know, as you guys know, uh, big di big divisions in NA over certain things. You know, certain literature and certain people who f believe that. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> you guys know. You know yeah, we, certain, we do. Certain people who believe that in uh, that the uh, NA World Services is now a corporate-driven, money-driven thing, and you know, blah 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 blah. And when we start, um, like I, I've been a partisan in that battle for most of my recovery because I, I, uh, I went to work for NA World Services in the mid. 80s and and i have been i served on the world board of na for 12 years and from 2000 to 2012 so i've been just like up in that discussion and what i what i always try to do is is have direct conversation listen from the heart and and i can almost always bridge those gaps when i when i ask myself what does that guy care about what does he care about like if he he's on me because he thinks I'm part of the, you know, whatever it is that they have, you know, that the, the NA, the, that world services is. 
and I'm thinking, okay, once we get drilled down into the conversation, I, I, I can always ask myself, what does he care about? And ultimately, in the end, he cares about the addict getting the message and, and, and they not getting distracted by money, property, prestige, and all of that stuff. And so if I can connect myself to that, we can actually have a good conversation. I can, I can answer the questions honestly. I, we can go into the the details of things that that he assumes are like secret behind the curtain, whatever. No, let's just talk about it all. And uh, and but what binds it, what makes that possible, is is my 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 belief that he is is driven by the fifth tradition, like I am, like the the possibility that an addict might get this message. And and being concerned about things that uh, that seem like they might get in the way of that, you know, what, we can share that common bond, or we can talk about anything. Right. Yeah. Open mindedness. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that <clears throat> the way to look at it. If I can find what he cares about, and then we can we can start the connection that way. Um, it's hard to start a conversation when you're closed minded about. Well, yeah, if we get to yeah. a point of an argument, I'm no longer listening. Yeah. So do you think um, a lot of that stems from just we're left to assume when we don't, when we've never had any involvement in world services? Like, Interesting. What we, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, that's fine. No, you. <laughs> we're both so polite. No, you, no, you, you. Um, uh, but I do think, I do think that's true that, uh, the more and you can sort of see evidence for it when you see the the fact that those people who have experience at the world service conference people who are the current are regional delegates or past regional delegates tend to be uh pretty supportive of the whole thing and tend to have a sing a different tune about it because they've seen it up close and personal they're going like okay these are all just people these are all just na members like me with some level of experience and they've been elected to positions and some people are hired to work at the office and, but we all caring about the same thing, which ties us back to the, the fifth tradition. Again, we can have differences about the best way to achieve that thing. And that may be a, a you know, fodder for debate, but that, that doesn't tend to be the kind of debate where you're, where you're mistrusting and, and, you know, whatever. But I think a lot of the mistrust and the suspicion, does come from having some distance from what's actually going on and then sort of speculating about it. I think you're onto it there. Yeah. yeah well, you know, it, it's easy to feel distance too. Like it feels like this big entity that you're not a part of sometimes, but you know, uh, what changed my perspective is I listened from beginning to end to uh, the world service conference. And I thought it was one of the most, spiritual ways of conducting business with that many people in a small space trying to go get through in, a, in an efficient way to get through these motions and still allowing everybody to be heard and i just i, I thought it was amazing and it, it totally changed my perspective on the, the whole outfit you know and it i mean it's no secret where where we're from and how we were influenced most like with the language you know uh, the, the people and our sponsorship family, they, uh, 
they were involved with the whole baby blue conspiracy back in the day. And, you know, so they have, we only have what we've had passed down to us, but getting our own perspective is really, well, for me, I'm speaking for me. I keep saying we, but for me, you know, participating in area and region and, you know, um, I, I didn't get to go to the conference, but I was texting with my, our delegate the whole time and listening throughout it. They really opened my eyes and, you know, changed my perspective. It took me a little longer than that. But anyway, what I really come to the whole idea of, I'm not going to, you know, um, sit here and bash world anymore. I'm tired of doing that. You know, when it's like, um, I thought about, I got clean on the sixth edition and I heard a lot of people say, Oh no, you're supposed to read from the third revised. And, and, and all, and I was like, wait a second. I got clean on the sixth edition. I had a fifth edition sitting at the house on a bookshelf from 14 years prior. I think that's how long it was 12 or 14 years. And it just sat on the shelf and the whole time that I'm in drug addiction, it's sitting there on that shelf and i i come down here i get clean on the sixth edition i go back i'm like i got one of these books somewhere and it was on that bookshelf and i looked at it and it was a fifth edition so for me to sit and bash something that you know i'm not i'm not about it anymore just you know i'm letting that stuff go yeah you know it is what it is what can i do to change it i'm not trying to change it anymore yeah yeah, there is a good way to change it, which is to get right involved. There you go, right there. He said it. Get involved. Get involved. What's really cool about this fifth tradition is that last paragraph. I think that's one of the most powerful statements in our literature. Can is you read it? Par- I can't. Read it. I'll, I'll see if I got anything to say about it. What is our message? The message is that an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. Our message is of hope and the promises of freedom. When all is said and done, our primary purpose can only be carried, can only carry the message to the addict who still suffers because that is all we have to give. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that, I didn't, I just didn't recognize it when you said the last paragraph, but yes. That paragraph, almost all of us now over the years can say, like if you ask an NA member, what is the what is the primary purpose of NA? What is the message of NA? I mean, that that paragraph right there has risen to such, you know, what, what's the word familiarity in the right. minds of the average member with a, with a bit of substantial clean time that most of us will just say it, you know, that that an addict, any addict can stop using, lose the desire to use and, and find a new way to live. You know, and when I was um, serving on the, the world board, we, at one point we had a consultant come in and, uh, and he was just helping us with things like planning and, you know, just sort of organizing some of our efforts to try to be more effective. And he was saying one of the things that he noticed about us uh, that he had worked with all these other organizations. And he said, most organizations have a primary purpose of some kind, like a mission, a way to, that, that little elevator speech way of saying what your mission is. And then you've got to teach it to your rank and file and try to get them to listen to you or see if you can get them to, to, 
know what it is. And he said, I, I've noticed about your organization, you ask any, uh, I'll, I'll use my own language, not his, but you ask any sort of raggedy ass member of NA on the street, what is the primary purpose of NA? And they can say, they'll tell you. And yeah. and what is the message of NA? And most of it takes a little longer to kind of learn that one. But the, the thing you just read is it's incredibly unifying uh, that the, the, the message of NA is so clear. And what's interesting is all the differences that we've discussed here, you know, in just the last few minutes talking about the way people feel about world services or the literature or the language. That is one thing that we can all go back to and we all agree on. And I think the fifth tradition is one thing, you know, that we that we can all agree on. We all know what our primary purpose is. And if, we, like you said, if we can focus on that, we can set aside our differences and we and, and do what's you know, best for the addict that still suffers, you know. Here's a here's another aspect of the fifth tradition that that I think is worth worth mentioning that the fifth tradition gives me guidance about how I share at an NA meeting. It tells me the purpose of my sharing. And uh, if you can really feel the difference in an NA meeting when when that's what the uh, underlying agenda of of the format of the meeting, of the sharing of the meeting, the heart of the meeting uh, is we are here to see if we can spark that little hope in in somebody who is feeling hopeless about this. And so. um you know, there are some meetings and some members and some formats that just don't seem to to even be paying attention to that. It's like we're here, we're here almost like a therapy session to to um, to just talk about our how fucked up our week was, you know, or whatever, without any intention in there of sparking hope in a suffering addict. And um, and I think when that happens, we we really lose something. And you can see it like it, meetings that get it. Meetings meetings where like that little meeting in Fargo in the early days, we really got it. We we were just so all about it, you know. And that we had greeters at the door. We had we we had uh, we made sure that if somebody left during the meeting, one or more of us was was uh, assigned to get up and go out and see if they were okay. You know, they could leave if they want to leave, but are they okay? Is there, is there some, you know, that we uh, we structured our meeting format in such a way with little thing, aspects of it that made it clear that, you know, you're we are here to carry a message to the addict who still suffers, not to, not to just sort of whine about our week or whatever else. Now, when I say that, I, I also, you know, I also hasten to add that we can share about anything at an NA meeting. If I had a tough week and I shared about that, that's nothing wrong with that. If I if I'm in a lot of pain and I share that in real honestly and vulnerably, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying the underlying intention of sharing that is to is to spark some hope in the in the heart and mind of that NA member who's feeling a bit hopeless. And if I lose sight of that aspect of it and kind of tie it back into the, and I don't tie it back into that, then it's a missed opportunity. And then my sharing is is off the mark of the primary purpose of that meeting. Right. And and, and there is a message sometimes in, in, in sharing, you know, like you said, I had a bad week and then 
you know, when you come in the next week and you made it through it and you made it through it clean, you know, there you go. There, there's that spark of hope. Um, you know, I agree with that. And, you know, that's why it's a, I have to be a little careful about the, the emphasis I put on this, but I do think that it's, that it's powerful when you get it, you know, like, yeah, like uh, I, I'll share anything. In fact, if, if what I'm sharing is a, superficial message constructed to try to make you um to try to sell you something in na that doesn't do it addicts addicts smell that and see through that right away that so that is certainly not what i'm advocating (laughs) but um when i share whatever i have to share honestly genuinely i think the most important thing is that i be myself and that i'm genuine that i i'm truthful and if it's if I'm going through something difficult, then I'm truthful about that. And then, but the intention still there's still something there. The intention that the under the reason I'm sharing this, if I remember it, if I keep it in my mind, and if the group is kind of designed to to keep it in its mind and heart, then uh, what we can kind of pump into the stream of of you know the uh, the group assembled there and the people and the and the newcomers and and myself as somebody with time you guys you know I, when i hear an inspiring message it fires me up it fuels me up so you yeah. know we know what we're what we're trying to do in the fifth tradition the fifth tradition ties directly to the 12th step by the way same language and it it is uh, it's basically telling us what we're what we're up to here yeah, one thing I wanted to ask about the fifth tradition, we ha- we were talking about world services earlier. After the WSC this year, we had our regional delegate come on, or he came on the podcast, and we kind of went through what happened there and how how it was. And but we got to talking about the fifth tradition, and he sent me an interesting text after it. It says he said. Now, the fifth tradition establishes what our primary purpose is, but for them to say primary, does that indicate that we have secondary purposes? Well, that's going to get you to thinking. (laughs) I'm just asking, what do you think about that question? Do do you think we have, because I thought about it and it took me a little bit. um, Well, I I think that there are, you know, I've I've thought about hmm. this question too before, and I think in the end, I, I whatever those secondary purposes are, probably less important. Well, by definition, less important, and um, maybe of interest. You know, you could say like the the some of the things we do around activities and events um, give an addict a life. You know, give give you a social world to connect with because, especially for young addicts, this is terribly important. So, it, you know, a secondary purpose there might be to provide an atmosphere where where we can live our lives uh, without without being constantly in the mix of the old stuff that that we used to do and the people we used to do it with and stuff. So, yeah, I I'd say there are secondary purposes, but all of them tie back to the primary purpose absolutely Hmm. yeah i think the last paragraph sums it up with the last sentence because that is all we have to give i got choked up when i was reading it (laughs) yeah oh i know yeah travis's story is pretty interesting about finding the basic text you know he he dove right in and he wanted to know who wrote it 
after yeah i was like i don't see no author on this book it was driving who wrote all this stuff you know and (laughs) well when you find out how it all came together boy you really get you know like it really what is it ryan says cranks my tractor yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah country country boy expressions i i grew up i'm a country boy myself well good where are you guys from we're from tennessee okay yeah, Tennessee. that's a that's an Atlanta hat. It's not it's not Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Ron, I got a question for you. And this is uh kind of goes in with the you know, the fifth tradition is, you know, did the the group that you was in in Fargo um from I don't know, September, October to about April, did the meeting attendance go up around that time? Because I know it's really cold up there. I was in St. Cloud, Minnesota, about December one year. Never been so cold in my life. But I'm just curious to like, I'm sure that some of those people that came in during those cold winter months found uh, recovery. Yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really know. I don't really remember. You know, if there were there probably were seasonal fluctuations. There probably is everywhere to some degree. But up in that, uh, the frozen tundra of northern Minnesota, it's, uh, I mean, it's a special kind of cold up there. And it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. And like, I've, I've gotten involved a lot with the fellowship in Alaska. And I've, I've been there a lot. And I saw a real connect, a real similarity between their life and the life of sort of the, you know, the Minnesota culture, which is just really undeterred by this coldness. You just, just fucking, excuse my language. You just get yeah. out and live, you know, you yeah. do your thing and you play, you, you, your toys change, your clothes change, but you're still playing like, you know, really uh, fully living. So I don't know that, 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 that would follow that way. Well, we are about out of time, Ron. We can't, like we said, can't thank you enough. Thank you for coming on here and doing this. You get ready to come to uh, Tennessee, let me know. Uh, we'd love to have you down sometime. Uh, and if we're ever out your way, we'll be, we'll be sure to be in touch. Absolutely. We have each other's uh, phone numbers now and, and do that. If you come this way, let us know. And I, I am planning a big, uh, my wife and I have an RV and we're, we're heading down I-40, which goes right, right straight through. Probably, we'll be heading that way next year, probably sometime before the World Convention. And then we're going to park it somewhere and go to the World Convention. So. Yeah, we'll be there too. All right. If, uh, uh, what is it? If the, what is Are it? Are you going to do that if, country boy stuff now? Yeah. If, <laughs> Good Lord willing, <laughs> the creek good Lord's willing, and the creeks don't rise. We'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. We'll be back All next right. week with Tradition Six. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is nine three one. 306-9364.